Hey, all you Theosciples, I'm Michael. And I'm Brendan from Finding Christ in Cinema. You are listening to the Theonauts Podcast with your hosts, David and Jeremiah. Right here at GCTNetwork.com, your Great Commission transmission. It's the Theonauts. Episode 141. The one where there is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. It is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is the dimension of imagination, and it is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you theophysicists out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. Without oh, wait, a microphone. Without a microphone. I turned it off because uh, I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are... The Theonauts! I told you. Yeah, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> Rod Serling over here. <laughs> I tried so hard. I screwed up, though, but I tried. Yeah, but hey, it was it was a noble effort. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can't do Rod Sterling perfectly. That guy's yeah. awesome, by the way. Oh, yeah. I love the Twilight Zone. Now I want to go watch it. Me, you know what my favorite Twilight Zone episode was? Uh, I, it's hard for me to narrow Num- it down for me. But go ahead. It was like in the first season, mm-hmm. and it was the William Shatner Twilight Zone episode. Okay. I don't think that was the first season, but I know which one you're talking about. Was it? The, you're talking about the one where... The Plane and the Gremlin. Oh no, yeah, that's that's not the I don't think that's the first season. That's like later on. But I know what you're talking about. Um what is the name of that episode? For you Twilight Zone fans out there, you'll uh you'll you'll know what we're talking about. But yeah, uh that's a, that's an awesome episode. There's a <laughs> the one I thought you were talking about was with William Shatner where um where there's the the fortune telling machine and the diner. Oh yeah, and he gets like every time it tells a fortune something happens, and so he gets obsessed with it, and he won't like cross the street without going back into that diner and putting a dime in the machine, and his wife wow. is like freaking out. Yeah, it's a it's an awesome episode too. And the other one is the devil episode where the guy sells his soul, the the hypochondriac. Oh yeah, sells yeah, his yeah, soul and ends and up in it, life imprisonment. <laughs> Yeah, he tries to kill himself and he can't do it. Yeah, that's a good episode too. There's all kind of, man. I love the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and there's so many object lessons. Like every little vignette is like this cool little uh, existential study. Right. And there's a lot of of religious Christianity type of themes in there too. That's really good. Like one of my favorites is the one where the where the guy uh, gets shot robbing the bank, and then the the, the dude shows up and, and gives him apparently heaven right. where he gets everything he wants. But then by the time it's over, he was like, he can't lose. And, he, and, and right. it's horrible to him and he hates it all. And yeah. he's like, I don't think I deserve all this. I want to go to the other place. And he says, what makes you think you're not in the other place? <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I think the episode's called It's a Nice Place to Visit. Uh. <laughs> 
That's clever too. Yeah. So. All right. So how you doing, Dave? Good man. How's it going? Good. I'm getting ready for school, gearing yeah. up, doing my Bible lessons for figuring out how to get on second graders level and teach them <laughs> the Bible. So uh, it, that's fun. And then history's right along with it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Texas history too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned a lot about <laughs> Texas history in the past. Uh, come on. And you know what? Honestly, I can see why people like it so much. Wow. It's pretty cool. I'm impressed. It's a pretty neat state. Yeah. I mean, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's a pretty, pretty neat state. Anyways, so. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So when does school start up? Next Wednesday. Mm. First day. Back with a bullet. Wow. Yep. Yeah. It sounds good. But I got my weekends, and I got all my holidays, and I got my summer. Yeah. So you know what? It's not that hard. It's not that bad. <laughs> I love it. I love and, teaching. And, uh, well, and this weekend, we're going to go hit the river. Kayaking, baby. Yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. Try not to flip over about a million times. Yeah, we'll try not to die or anything. Yeah, that's a good idea. I think the the water's actually up. Yeah, it's been running. It's the flowing. river's been running up there yep. in Oklahoma. Is where we do that. Oklahoma. Yeah, that's right. So, so we're ready to jump into this. Uh, I'm very interested topic. to see what goes on here. <laughs> So, what we're, <laughs> yes. we're, what we're going to be doing is... This is all you, by the way. <laughs> well, it won't, all, it won't be all me. I'm just going to comment but, and argue and figure out <laughs> holes, plot holes in your... Yeah, well, it's not, I'm not going to, like, you know, give any definitive <laughs> stuff. This is all theoretical stuff. I love theory. Okay, so what we're, we're going to talk about is we're going to talk uh, a little geeky this time. After all, we are Theo knots. That's right. You know, so we are explorers in totally this nerd. vast creation of gods. Yes. So um, creation of gods. <laughs> all right. Okay. So um, what I want to talk about is dimensions, which is <laughs> there exists. Yeah. That, between time and space. Yeah, and I'm, and not only like uh, like when I first said that you were like. A layer is like an onion. Yeah. No, you said, okay, what did you say? Dimensions of God or something like that. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, dimensions, are we going to, like, you know, like an onion? <laughs> like, you know, the Shrek reference. I was throwing that out there because I have no clue what you're talking about when you say dimensions of God. Yeah. I'm like, okay. No, this is geeky science <laughs> stuff. So all in your avenue, man. <laughs> you're in your uh, element. So, uh, but it, it's not, we're not going to get into any major math or anything here, but okay. So what we want to talk about is, uh, what we, what we can learn and observe in nature and how that might change the way we think in some ways of how God works with us. Okay. okay so, uh, this comes from, you know, back in my college days, I used to do all this type of study because I was a science major and, we had like um, I had all these debates with atheists and everything, and it was just like you know. But at the time, it was all so that I could be right and they could be sure, wrong. Sure, absolutely. Because <laughs> everybody you had wants to agree to be so right. quick. Agree so quick with me. <laughs> but you know what? You've <laughs> like, changed. A I whole would expect lot. that from you, David. Yeah. No, you're not the same <laughs> as that anymore. So, but I did. I definitely 
there was pluses and minuses to that. So there was a lot of pride involved. But at the same time, I did a lot of study on, in both science and uh, theology because I don't believe that they're mutually exclusive, uh-uh. which is what everyone tends to want to do. They want to separate and pit science against religion. No, in fact, one complements the other if you look at it correctly. Mm-hmm. Right, and you look at some of the biggest scientific, uh, like the greatest scientific minds that have made all these major breakthroughs, uh, you know, like um, Sir Isaac Newton. I mean, he was a big Christian. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the knowledge that they found and that they learned about nature did not deter from their faith. Right. They saw God in it, and... It, it made their faith stronger. Right. And so this study did that for me a lot, is it made my faith in God stronger. And so wh- whenever I observe things in nature or, or whatever, then it always tends to have that effect. So um, this is one of the little pet studies I did one time <clears throat> because it's, it's just kind of interesting to me to think about a bigger reality than what we see. And that's really hard to get your head around. But um, we live in a three-dimensional world. Yes. And so it's hard for us to think outside of three dimensions. Right. And so what I want to do is is basically the point of the study is going to be like there are more than three dimensions. And um, one of which we know for sure is, is, is a dimension past the third. But a lot of theoretical... Um, uh, constructs have been made that kind of show us there probably is 10, 15, 20, whatever different dimensions. And we just are constrained and we can't move around in those dimensions. That's interesting. So, yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, yeah. No, I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. Three dimensions, there's <laughs> many, and we're constrained. Got it. I'm ready there. So the, the, the idea is that uh, in God's realm... He, there's more than that. There's like th- this rea- the reality is bigger than what we see. Right. And we even have terms for this. We call it the spiritual realm or we call it the oh. other side or we call it, you know, all kinds of different things. But there are some of these these scientists that are Christians that that deal in this field actually have all kinds of really cool theories like the garden of Eden. Where is the garden of Eden? Uh, between the Tigris and Euphrates River. Yeah, it tells us exactly in the Bible where it exactly, is. Exactly. Yeah. But whenever you go there, nothing there. <coughs> there's no garden. There's no there. tree. Of there's life. no angels there's no, with yeah. swords. And so everyone goes like, "Well, wait a second. Uh, what happened?" And then there's all these people who say, "Well, maybe the flood got rid of it." Or I mean, all this type of theories then start flying everywhere. Right. But people, people in this field, will actually contend that the Garden of Eden existed on a separate plane than what we currently experience and that the fall had greater impact than what we even think. So so maybe the suggestion is then that the fall had the impact of putting us in, in three dimensions or or into or into a separate dimension okay. that experiences death and all these other things. And so like there's there's all these different ideas about how Adam and Eve were clothed with light and they right. lived forever and all this sort of stuff, and that our existence now is in a plane that resulted because of the fall, and so um, so a lot of that's just I mean there's theory, but 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 what gets people to that 
is this concept of studying dimensionality. Okay. okay. So let's talk about what dimensions are uh, from just a ge- geographical space uh, type of, of understanding. Okay. Okay. So if I say something is one dimensional. It's like flat as a paper. Yes. Or even worse than that. Like one dimensional means you only move on one plane. Right. So a line. Forward or backwards. Yep. You line. go forward or backward. That's it. You're, that's a line. That's one dimensional. Two dimensions then would be. Forward and backwards, up and down. Yeah. Okay. So now you've got a flat piece of paper. Right. You can draw up and down. You can okay, draw left got and it. right. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Beforehand, you could just go one, you know, slide, right, like, right, like right. Um, a slide rule or something. Okay. But now, but now we got like a whole piece of paper to work with. You can go There's up and There's an X and Y axis here. Right. And uh, so you're moving in all these different flat directions. Three dimensions then adds a third component. So you've got left and right, up and down, in and out. Okay. Right? So now you can leave the piece of paper. So you, you said that I had this Rubik's Cube on my, <laughs> on my desk. I set it on the piece of paper. It goes left, right, up, down, and in and out of space. Got it. Okay. So that's the three dimensions we know about so or have known about, obviously, because we can observe those three dimensions like... From the beginning, ever we've we've right. been able to to observe this. The cool thing is, is when people started putting math to this, and okay. f- and figuring out. Okay, for example, if you want to know um, how many miles it is between here and Dallas, that's moving through dimensions, right? And that is um, a measurement, right? A distance. So people start measuring that um, in your. High school math classes, you you learn geography. Sure. I mean, not geography, geometry. Okay. And yeah. you have like... Uh, Shapes. <clears throat> right. You've got triangle. Uh-huh. And we know and we have figured out that there are so many degrees right. in a given shape, a triangle especially. So, um, so you know what angles are legally going to work. And you can also do math to determine how long one side is based on what our knowledge is of how the physics of the other two lines work. So right. like uh, if you have the two shortest sides of a triangle and you know the distance, the length of each one of those, right. you can now determine the length of the third side using the Pythagorean theorem. Right. Okay, so it's it, math. A get, squared plus B squared equals C squared. There you go. Wow. See, you're I, all over I this, remember man. remember that, yeah. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> okay. in 1854, there was a guy who was actually the son of a Lutheran pastor. Nice. We like Lutherans. Yeah. This guy's name was Bernard Ryman. Okay, and... I've he, heard of Ryman. Okay, so Ryman uh, used extensions of the Pythagorean theorem in the third dimension because he just thought this would be cool. Okay, so... Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a geek like you. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, if you have a cube and you divide it up into triangles, so you've got you know several different triangles put together, mm-hmm. you can do the Pythagorean theorem on differing planes, right? And you can actually determine all these different lengths of the of of the measurements inside of a cube or a three-dimensional object gotcha. using this. And so basically all he did is extend the Pythagorean theorem mm-hmm. from a squared plus b squared equals c squared to 
a player a squared plus b squared plus c squared plus d squared plus whatever squared equals z squared like there's the you can figure out on a, a multiple so like if you just do three a squared plus b squared plus b squared uh, c squared equals d, d squared, squared. Uh-huh. that's three dimensions but what happens whenever you just start using the math and now you've left what you could visually see right and you start adding the D squared, E squared, F squared. So you're adding dimensions that but don't... But this is all just imaginary, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're dimensions that don't even exist. Gotcha. But he's still doing math on it okay. and extending it and saying, okay, well, if we did have four dimensions, this would be the distance between this spot and this spot moving in four dimensions. So this is getting really hard to get your head around. Yeah, I don't even understand that. Okay, so... But, I, I get it. I get what you're but saying. But what it did, it rocked the, the physics world. Because people were looking at the math and going, that's some solid, easy math. Right. But what it, it has implications that just go Transcend crazy. Math. Yeah, that's right. Because it comes into, into our physical world in a way we can't even see it. Right. Okay, so that's, that's why this is a big thing. Well, in 1905, a guy by the name of Albert Einstein yes. took Ryman's math and he began to structure a way that it could fit into our observable uh, realm. realm. And one of the very first things that he, or one of the things that he thought of that could, that could substitute for a fourth dimension was time. So, okay, so, and I, everyone's wondering, how, what's this have to do with theology? We'll get there. Yes. Okay, so. Keep listening. Okay, so Einstein theorized that if you could move freely through time, because we're constrained in time, we can look, we can look back, and we can move forward, but we can't move back and we can't look forward. So gotcha. just like a line on a piece of paper is going in one. It's what makes history history, <clears throat> the present, the present, right. and the future, the future. Right. You can't go <laughs> back into history. You can't go forward into the future. Well, you can. You're moving into the future, but you can't jump farther in the forward in the future. Right. You're constrained to the present. We can't move in it. And right. and since we can't move in it, it's hard to think about how how it would be if you could move around in it. So the cool thing is Ryman's math starts really fitting well into the models, the theoretical models that Einstein started putting together. Hmm. And hence you have the theory of relativity. You have all these these that involved light speed and he he theorized, you know, well, if you went fast enough, you could affect time. And if you could affect time, then it changes everything. It changes how you're measuring all kinds of stuff. Right. And so, man, all these bl- black hole physics, all this stuff comes... String theory. Yeah, all of this comes from these roots. Okay, and we're not going to go all that deep. But what we want to do, though, is think about... I mainly just want to think about the, these four dimensions. The idea is that there's probably more than that, but it's hard enough to get our head around moving around in four dimensions, much less five or six or right. or seven. So, um, um, do you have your um, uh, Bible pulled up there? Yep. Because there's there's a, a passage here that I think is really cool. There are several times when Paul and I think Hebrews actually says some of this stuff sometimes where it's like if you read it one way, it's very top level and very, um, very light. But 
if you read it another way, like from this standpoint, it starts to get really deep. Okay. okay like there are sometimes when, when Paul says things about, um, um, well, go ahead. Let's look at, at 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. Oh. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 through 18. This yeah. is really hot. Sorry. Yeah. So we do not lose <laughs> heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For the light, for this light momentarily, uh, wow. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Okay, so Ooh. given what we were just talking about, mm-hmm. this verse reads a little differently. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden, it's, it's like Paul... Remember that Paul had some special revelation. And also remember that uh, he gives us a little bit of that revelation... Uh, in 2 Corinthians 12, I believe, um, where or 11 or 12, where he talks about he talks about himself in the third person. He he's like, I knew a guy once who actually went into this realm of heaven and heard things unspeakable and saw things unspeakable. Well, anyway, um, so he kind of got this whirlwind tour of this other dimension, other dimension, this, yeah. Uh, that that God is the on. things that are not seen. Right. And I love the way he says that. He doesn't treat it like it's... I mean, think about what our traditional view of heaven has been. The sky, like on a cloud. Right. There's a gate up there somewhere on a cloud. And I think now we pretty much know that's all fabrication. There's nothing mm-hmm. in the Bible that alludes to that. It, re- it refers to the heavens, or it refers to heaven as God's realm, but... Maybe it's not as far away as we might think. Maybe it is right here, right, you know, around us. Around us, but we just can't see it because we're stuck in a third dimension. Right. And we think about uh, some of the things that the new heaven and new earth uh, type of wording that happens in the Revelation. Okay, so here you have Paul, who has actually laid eyes on some of this stuff, right. say that uh, it is transient. For the things that are seen are transient, so they're like, we're just traveling through this little, I mean, this is, we're just, this is like a little stepping stone in a bigger world. So this is transient that we see, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, eternal, what do we think about when we hear that word eternal? Forever. Forever, which is a measurement of what? Time. Time, right? But... The cool thing is, if we if we start really studying Einstein's theories and what's and whatnot, we start piecing together that eternity is not a lot of time. Eternity is the absence, absence of of, of the movement of time. So uh, so you're not like it's not linear anymore. And so uh, a lot of the scriptures that use this word eternal. You'll also hear it used, it's almost like a realm, like it's God's realm is eternal, Uh, because there are, this is actually one of them, where it's not even talking about it in time references. It's talking about it in a kingdom reference, like it's the eternal kingdom. Right. It is the everlasting, complete, 
Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, everything is together. Like it's eternal becomes a noun. Like it, it's an actual place you go to, hmm. right? Yeah, that's good. Instead of it being a descriptive term as much, right. or a uh, or a measurement, right? It's it's something else. And so, um, so let's talk about the what it's like to. So we know what it's like to move through three dimensions, right? The minute I throw a baseball with my son, we're doing that, right? right? And I have to, and we we are actually very adept at moving through three dimensions, aren't we? Sure. I mean, we, how in the world can you hit a ball glove from 60 feet away? Right. And and someone else catch it. And I mean, you have to perceive the speed of the ball and where how far it's traveling. How in the world do you hit a baseball? How do they, how these major leaguers hit a baseball going 100 miles an hour? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, it's amazing that we can actually do what we do in these right. three dimensions. Because there's a lot of math there we don't even really have to do. Right. We're just naturally acting upon what we see and re- responding. Exactly. So, I mean, we're not concerned about the ballistics of the baseball or anything like that. I mean, we're just doing it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's really kind of cool that we can move around in it. But when we talk about trying to move around in, say, the fourth dimension, which Einstein theorizes is time, hmm. well, then we start getting all the science fiction stories, right? Back to the future, yeah, I mean, we're we're dealing with time travel is how we view it, right? Which I've always thought is a total impossibility. And time travel, as we view it in science fiction, probably is. But if we look at it as not linear, see, that's part of the problem. Is we we're still when we're thinking time travel, we're still thinking linear thinking, right? And uh, I think that the reality of it is maybe a little different. Okay, so, so it's like the. It's like the guy, the professor that draws two dots on a piece of paper and draws a line in between them. Mm-hmm. He's like, it would take this long to get from point A to point B, unless, and then he folds the paper and he stabs the pencil through the two dots. Right. That would be <clears throat> that would be time yes. travel, right? Yes. It so would that, be going on a different, going into a different dimension, right? In order to get from point A to point B, and there's still a lot of science fiction that that leans on that. I mean, right? So you've got it's the folding of space, yes. quote unquote, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, wormholes, all the all those theories are tied to um, that thought. Okay, so to try and get our mind around it a little bit, at least enough to to make these points that I want to make. Okay, is um, Let's think about what it would be like if we lived in two dimensions. Okay, one dimension would be almost impossible for us to imagine also. But we can think about what it would be like to move around in two dimensions. Right. And so even though I'm going to use an ant as reference. Now, I know an ant actually does live in three dimensions. But an ant, most not, not a flying ant, just a, <laughs> just a little <laughs> sugar ant. A sugar ant. Okay, the sugar ant doesn't really jump around. He does really nothing in in the in and out right. uh, dimension. Right. Almost everything he does is walking on a on a plane. Right. Okay, so we're going to assume the ant knows nothing of the third dimension. So this ant just walks around left to right, forward and backwards. And whenever an ant hits a wall, he starts climbing the wall. To him, he's just walking on the plane. Like, yeah, the force is a little different, but he doesn't know that he's actually climbing a wall. Like, right. he's still just walking on a plane. Right. And so this ant is moving around, and that's all he knows. Left, right, forward, and backward. That's all he knows. All of a sudden, a fly lands in front of him on the <laughs> table. Okay. To the ant, a miracle just happened. <laughs> right. Like, to the ant, 
magic happened. Yes. Because this animal that he's never seen before appeared out of nowhere. Right. And just right in front of him, bam. And then the fly takes off and disappears. Because the ant only sees things on the plane. He doesn't actually see that the fly simply moved in the other dimension, that he just flew into and, and lifted off above him. Right. So from the fly's perspective, nothing special happened. Like nothing, nothing magical or technological happened. Right. He simply moved in a dimension he could freely move in, whereas the ant was not unable to observe that. Huh. Okay, so... If we think about time this way, so if time, if we could make it linear or make it physical, we look at it like a line or something like that. Let's say we could step back from the line and look at the entire thing Thing. from front to back. And we see the beginning of creation and the end. We see it. Simultaneously. Right. In front of us, like a line. Well, I imagine it like, I've always used this analogy Imagine you have everything laid out, you know, all your toys in a line on the table, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you have 10, five, 10 trucks, like little toy trucks, right? So you have the first toy truck here, and you put the, the line, and the last toy truck here. It's all on the table. You're sitting above, mm-hmm. off that table. You can see the first truck at the same time Yes, you can see the last truck. Right. So to you, you've got complete, like, authority over this line of, of vehicles. Right. Like, you can reach down and touch the, t- the first one. You can reach down and touch the, the back, the, the last one. And to you, nothing's magical. I mean, nothing is... No, it's nothing, just, I'm above it. Right. This is... You just are able to reach down and touch things in the line. Right. And so the idea is, if God is outside of our understanding of time, where he can actually see the whole picture and reach down and touch it at any point then uh, he can interact with it on any point, in any place. And he can see where this one car is going to be like whenever it's at the end of the line or the front of the line or whatever. So another good example would be like a parade. Uh, Like assume the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Okay, so it's going down the streets of New York City. Now, Now, if you're at the corner of the street watching the parade, you have no idea what... Like, you just walk up, and it's already going on. You have no idea what floats have gone by, and you don't really know what floats are coming. Right. Because you're watching it linearly, progressively. As it happens, it walks by you. You experience the parade in a linear fashion. But what happens if you're on the top of the Empire State Building looking down on the parade? Well, now you can see the, the entire thing. parade. You can see the front. You can see the back. You can see the guy standing on the street corner who is observing it in a very linear fashion. Right. Now, if I'm a base jumper, I can choose to jump down and pick where I want to land and do whatever I need to do in the in the parade. Right. So that person has special privileges, not because they're magic or not because they're... Uh, supernatural, but because they can simply move in a dimension that the guy on the street corner cannot. But to the guy, it would be supernatural. Right. Like if you've never seen a parachutist before, and all of a sudden you're standing on the corner and this parachute lands in the middle of the parade in front of you, all of a sudden it's like, where did that come from? Right. And the lack of knowledge there creates this 
impactful feeling of super right yes and so from the guys down in the corner like you were saying time travel is impossible the guy on the street corner is like flying is (laughs) impossible like that's never going to happen but um but something did move in that dimension okay so if we look at it like this uh, have you ever seen or read the book that um uh, oh my my mind has gone blank the time machine by hg wells um i've seen a movie Okay. But I've never read The Time Machine. No. Okay. Um, I, I love that. H.G. Uh, Wells is cool anyway. But I, sure. But I love, the t- <laughs> I love The Time Machine because there's actually some good, decent science in it. Okay. About how time travel works. And the, the guy who invents The Time Machine at the very first of the story is explaining the, the theory to his friends. And he's created this little model of the time traveling machine. And he's like, come in here, come in here. I'm going to show you. I just made this great discovery. And I am going to send this back in time. Or I'm going to send it forward in time. And they're like, oh, sure you are. Okay, whatever. And so he reaches down. He flips the little switch on the model. And they sit there and they stare at it. And all of a sudden it goes and disappears. And he's like, yeah. And they're all looking at him like, nice trick. You know? Where's it at? It's like a magician. Right. They see it as a disappearing act. Sure. And he was like, it time traveled. And they're like, what do you mean it time traveled? If it moved into the future, it would still be here. Well, and he's like, well, no, it depends on where it is in the future and what happens to it. It's like, we're in the past. So no, we wouldn't see it here right. because it's in the future. And he's like, well, where did it go though? He's like, it didn't go anywhere. It's still in this same space, but it's in this space in the, in future. the future. And the guys are like, we don't follow you. We don't understand what you're saying. And so, and that's, Typical, because people can't right. get their head around it. Yeah. But from the, the time traveler's perspective, he is like, no, you don't understand. If you can move in and out, obviously, it's not in this time and space. He's not. It's not in this space at this time. So it's in this space at another, another time. time. And so the idea being from a, from a person who's stuck in three dimensions and can't move in the fourth dimension, it looks like magic. Right. It looks like a disappearing act. And so one of the things that makes me that makes people theorize that a lot of what uh, God is doing is in a separate dimension that we will one day enjoy is start to look at some of the ways residents of heaven, it, the way they interact with with humans. Us. Yeah. So uh, for example, judges six verse. 21. Okay. Pull that up right quick. Okay, so here, here we have the our, our story of Gideon, right? And Gideon is getting the call. <laughs> right. He's getting the call to go be a man, mighty well, man of valor. Threshing wheat in the wine for us. <laughs> That's great. So uh, this, this angel comes to him and uh, improves himself. Right. And so here, read what it says there. What verse 11? Uh, no, 21. 21, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Um, blah, 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 blah. It says, Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. A fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Okay, so <laughs> from an ancient standpoint, 
this is magic. This is magic. Sure. That happened. From a modern standpoint, yeah. it's kind of magic. So, I mean, because what does he do? He shows up and he makes fire come out of nowhere and and consume this sacrifice. And then what's he do? Disappears. Right. Like, gone. Okay. Now, we can either look at it like it's magic, mm-hmm. and we can, but it could also simply be that this angel enjoys movement in dimensions we can't visualize. Like, we, we can't move in the dimensions he's moving in. Okay. So, uh, fire, those things have physical properties. Right. And so, we can theorize that by manipulating different dimensional movement, he was able to bring fire from wherever and place it, place it on onto the meat. the meat. And at the same time, he could move, whether that's through time or any other dimensional construct that is out of our line of sight, okay. he could move in that. Wow. And the minute he moved, he appeared to disappear. Right. But really, he just went somewhere else. Like, he just stepped over wow. into another realm. That's really interesting. And actually, I mean, it fits. It makes sense. This would and, be a good possibility. And the cool thing is, this is not some arbitrary thing that just happened one time in the book of Judges. Like, it's everywhere. Okay. Like, okay, so, uh, and we won't read them all because there's a lot of them. But like in Genesis uh, 18, you have this situation where Abram is approached by three angels. angels. And in, in 18 verse 2, it says that all of a sudden there appeared three men before him. Right. Like they didn't walk up. He didn't see them coming from a distance. They just poofed. They just showed up. Uh, Numbers 22. That's the story of Balaam and the donkey. Yes. So we have this whole thing where where Balaam's riding on this donkey and the donkey can see something Balaam can't see. And what is this? A resident of heaven Heaven. or the heavenlies. This is, he sees an angel and, but Balaam can't see it. Right. And the donkey doesn't want to go. Balaam is just confused because his donkey's not obeying him. Right. So he starts slapping the donkey around. The donkey gets mad and says, hey, look, I'm just trying to save your life. Right. <laughs> so, so it actually speaks to him. But then it says that uh, his eyes were opened and he was able to see the uh, angel. Okay, so either... A supernatural thing happened, and God used some sort of mystical way of doing this. And if that's what it is, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. (laughs) But it could be physical movement in different dimensions. It could be a like creation's bigger than we think it is, and and the angels basically just moved into a place where all of a sudden Balaam could see him him. now. Huh. And so it uses the term, may his perception was changed or his eyes were open. He was able right. now to see, whereas he couldn't uh, before. And uh, so you also have J- uh, Joshua 5. So Joshua was getting ready to go to this battle of Jericho, right? And the captain of the Lord's host, which I think is a very cool term, who actually demands that Joshua <laughs> worship him, that take off your sandals, you're on holy ground. This is If this is just an angel, then... We have other passages that say you don't worship angels, right? So what right. in the world is he doing? Um, so a lot of people think this is a theophany. That this is appearance. This of is Jesus. an appearance of, of Jesus. Yes. So um, it's interesting the way it's worded. The captain of the Lord's host appears before Joshua. So hmm. again, doesn't just walk up. Poof. Bam. Just shows up and it startles him. Right. Like, and he wants to know, are you my enemy or what? Like, where did you come from? 
And, uh, of course, he tells him how to win the Battle of Jericho, which is really not him winning at all. Right. But, um, but the cool thing is that there is that the captain of the Lord's host appeared, which meant if this is m- movement through other dimensions, it's like the time machine. He simply moved to like a different uh, uh, dimension of some right. sort and bam, was now in the line of sight of uh, Joshua. Huh. Um, even in the New Testament, Luke chapter one, we have there where, um, uh, Elizabeth is pregnant with John. Right. And, uh, Zacharias, the father is in the temple and all of a sudden he sees near the altar, an angel appear. Right. And the angel basically blinds him, um, and because of his lack of faith and what's going on and all that. But anyway, um... The idea is it tells us right there in scripture that the angel appeared to him in the temple, like in next to the altar. Right. So it didn't mean that the that this angel walked into the temple door. Like he just showed up. And so again, we have this appearance of an of a, a of a resident of the heavenlies. And so we see this as a consistent thing. Right. We that would usually whenever they show themselves to somebody, it says, and then he a man appeared before him, and then he disappeared. Like very rarely does it talk about them entering the room and leaving the room or anything like that. Right. Um, so uh, if you if we even look at uh, let's see Luke two, the shepherds in the field, uh, whenever Jesus is born, and they're appeared <clears throat> in the heavens. Yeah, the the angels appeared to them. Right. Uh, and in Acts one, when Jesus ascends. Yeah. To heaven, everyone's staring up at the sky like, what in the world? And two angels pop in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, um, men appeared standing before them. Right. And said, why do you look up? Like, why are you still here? Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, anyway, so there's all kinds of, of this. This Jesus himself, we have examples of this. Uh, the biggest one, the one that's that, that gets tossed around the most is in Luke 13. No. Yes. I think that's... Uh, look at Luke 13, and let's look at uh, <clears throat> verse 25. I may not have done a good job writing down my... Uh, yeah, I don't think this is it. Are you talking about at the end, the resurrected... 24, yeah. Okay. Luke 24, verse 13. Luke 24, verse 13. Yeah, the road, the road to Emmaus. Right. That very day, two, two, uh, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Uh, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named uh, Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before the God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to, and condemned to death to, and crucified him. 
But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They went. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he, even uh, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But to him... Uh, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them, interpreted, sorry, to them in all the scriptures these things concerning himself. So they drew near the village to which he was going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is towards evening, the day is now far spent. So he went went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Okay, so the the uh, obviously the most miraculous thing in the passage is the very last sentence. He vanished. Like it didn't say, and then he left them, or then he, or whatever. It does. It's not even ambiguous. He vanished, like he he disappeared, right? And uh, right in front of them, like yeah. it wasn't. There, there are some places here that and I didn't write them all down, but there's several places where Jesus kind of does this. But at this point, it comes right out and says he disappeared, right? And um, so it's like, what in the world? And also, you have another little thing going on here. They don't recognize him. And there's all these yeah, theories. Yeah, he's able to disguise himself somehow. And there's Yeah, there's all these theories about what's going on there. You know, is it them? Is it him? Is it his risen body? Is it different? Is it, you know, and, and there's all kinds of theories about this. I think we talked about it a little with Mike right. Mahoney as mm-hmm. well. Um, but one thing that this could be is Jesus manipulating certain dimensional movements that would prohibit... Remember, Balaam couldn't see the angel right. that was right there in front of him. So there, there's you know, there's something that could have been going on sure. that we just can't get our heads around. Gotcha. Uh, so we also have, uh, in Luke 4, we have this, pla- this, this place where Jesus is preaching to his hometown in Nazareth, and they get really mad at him, and they chase him up to this hill... And they've basically cornered him, right? But then it says, and then he, he, uh, I can't remember the exact word. It was like escaped them or he went away or whatever. Well, yeah. They had him like. He went through the crowd. They had him dead to rights. Sure. On a hill. Like they were going to throw him off this cliff. They had him cornered. Right. And all of a sudden he somehow. Went out from them. Yes. That's what it says. Yeah, it says something very simple like that. Like he, he went out from them. Um. And so very easily could have been the same uh, type of thing. Um, John 20, we have it it, here in verse 19 and in verse 26, two different events that happened after Jesus' resurrection. It comes out and tells us the door was locked. Right. That's the, that. This one to me is the biggest. Yeah. So evidence it, of that. So it says the door was locked and Jesus appeared to them. Right. So for some reason, the Holy Spirit, or uh, at least John saw fit not to tell us, right. or to tell us the fact that Jesus didn't walk through the front door; that he just appeared before them. Right. And then uh, after he leaves, Thomas is like, "I ain't gonna believe this." And then it says, and the door was closed again. It's like eight days later, and the door was closed again, 
and Jesus appeared before them again. Right. So he pulls this off twice. Twice. Um, and then, of course, oh, and so there's a several like places like that where Jesus kind of pulls this disappearance, disappearing act. Um, and then you have, this is a weird one because it involves someone who is not a heavenly resident yet. Anyway, okay. And that would be Philip. You know, Philip and the eunuch? Yes. Let's jump over to Acts 8. That's interesting. I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay. Let's look at Acts 8. Acts chapter 8. Yeah, verses 39 and 40. All right. Acts chapter 8, verses 39 and 40. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. Okay, read verse 40. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That was okay. But Philip found himself and, yeah, <laughs> and the Zotus. Yeah. Uh, and he passed through, he preached the gospel yeah. with all the town until he came to Caesarea. So I think it's funny that <laughs> he just found himself. There. Right. And because and you can read that, that it caught him away. Like that's just a figure of speech. But the, he, he just left. You this know. is really cool. The spirit of the Lord carried. Yes, which is weird. I mean, we, <laughs> right, I get it. It's like really strange to understand. And it could, you know, it could be physically picking him up and carrying him. I don't know. But, well, you can match this with Paul whenever Paul was taken to the heavenlies. Right. So you could say, I mean, who knows? Maybe the spirit appeared, grabbed him and. Yeah, so let's think for, for a minute. A lot of times we think of the spirit as being non-corporeal. Uh, Corporal, yeah, where it doesn't it doesn't, doesn't have, have a body. A body. Yeah. And so we think of of it as an it. Right. Right? But it's not. It's a him. Right. Like it's an embodiment of God. It's part of the... Sure. He's part of the Trinity. So, um, and he's with us. So there could be like... A manifestation here where he's like, okay, I'm about to show you something really cool. Hold on to your guts, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to step this way, and all of a sudden we're in, what was the town? Yeah, Azotus. He found himself in Azotus. <laughs> make any sense. But it's hilarious. I mean, it, yeah. fi- it fits. It works if you think about it from a different... Because, you know, you can go and pick up an ant and mm-hmm. set him up on the table, right? Yeah, and he found, finds himself on the table. Right. So... <laughs> So, but the thing that is, this is so hard for people because they go, oh, you're, you're getting way out in left field. This is, you're trying to explain away God's uh, supernatural abilities or what? No, this is the glorification of God because he built such a complex, a magnificent, complex creation and structure right. that does allow for movement in all these dimensions. And it also means whenever that scientist discovers that. He can bend time a little bit. I mean, he might not be able to move through it, but whenever you start finding out that, oh, no, you can actually change this construct of this physical world that you don't freak out and go, oh, I'm losing my faith in God. <laughs> no, it's just, an, it's like gravity or any it other. It should be an assurance. Right. There's, there's any we should, other We can look at scripture and we can see, wow, you know, there's something here. Yeah. So what I want to what I want to do is is because this doesn't really have a big impact on a, on a lot, but to me it gives us maybe a little more insight into God's creation, and it also gives us uh, some maybe insight in some of the things that that we get hung up on on occasion. 
uh, like for one, this whole concept of eternity and what eternity is forever. Like we think that means lots of time. I mean, we write songs about it. Um, you know, Amazing Grace. Right. When we've been there 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun, yep. And, and so, but, you know, it, what's it say there in uh, one of the book of, books of Peter where he says uh, that a thousand years is as of a day to God? Right. Okay, does that simply mean, I've heard people take that so literally and go, it literally is progressive movement for God, one, one day, day equals 100,000 years. years. Yeah. But we're missing the point. The point is that God is not subject to our time. Right. That's really what it's saying, is that because a thousand is a Hebrew... Uh, reference for an uncountable or right. a very large amount. So whenever it says that with a thousand years is as of a day to God, it simply means he he is not constrained to time. And if we start to look at some other things, there have been tests over the years since Einstein's theory that actually show some of it is correct. Like, for example, there are atomic clocks, one of which is in uh, Greenwich... Uh, was that Switzerland? Where is that? You know, uh, I don't know. It's in Europe. I know one of them's in Colorado. Yeah, and yes, there's an atomic clock in Colorado, which is a different uh, elevation. And so, whenever you, when you when you expand the elevation, you you expand the distance that you're traveling around the Earth, right? Right. It's very minute in the grand scheme of things. But what happens is. It, they have we have seen measurable differences between the atomic clocks that get synchronized, but then over time they begin to go, get off a little bit. Why? Because one of them's moving faster than the other one, and so huh. the, what that does is that shows that time and speed are relative. That there are connections between them, which is Einstein's theory of relativities. Isn't light in there as well? Uh, well, it's the speed of light. So speed is what is okay. is what is measured. So when you see that the famous equation, E equals mc squared, uh, c is the speed of light. Right. Okay. So uh, mass times the speed, speed of, of light, light squared. squared. So what the thing is, though, and the reason why this can probably never be a law or be proven in our current in our current physical world, is because we can't move fast enough to observe this. Like right. we can't move at the speed of light. Um, and so we can't, we can't really do all this. And, and uh, so that's why it is theory, but it holds a lot of water whenever you observe things like the clocks moving at different speeds and the time being off. By, they're just nanoseconds. I mean, sure. but it's, it, there's still a slight difference in it. And so what does this do for us? And when we think about, the concept of eternity. Um, I think it changes a lot of things. It also changes the way we view God's interaction with us. Oh, huge. Well, you think about his, uh, the great debate in Christendom, Calvinism versus Arminianism, it does something there, right? Mm -hmm. Because save before the foundation of the world, well, yeah, before the foundation of the world, because God dwells outside of time. Yeah, from our perspective. From our perspective, yeah. it was before the foundation of the world. Yeah. Right? Um, but God saw the end from the beginning. Exactly. So it's like he... he which Oh, and here's one of the things that really nailed me. When I started really getting my head around this a little bit, if time is not linear, then uh, it has an impact on me in other ways. So, for, okay, for example, 
<laughs> the way I used to kind of think about this was if I'm thinking about sinning, like if I'm if I'm contemplating like a premeditated type of, of sin and I'm thinking about, should I do this? Should I not do it? I, I sometimes would cave because of my grace, right? I would cave sure. because I'm like, well, why not? Jesus uh, already died for it, right? Did he already die for it according to space? Right, time? right. Once I got my head around this concept, then I started thinking, wait a minute. If all this is time is a is just a a perceptive thing to me, like if it's if it's if he is outside of time, he in some aspect is going through the crucifixion as we speak. Right. Like he's going through it. And so the minute I sin, I'm immediately adding another weight to his shoulders. Like immediately. So if you stop thinking about things in a linear fashion and start looking at it from uh, this all-encompassing fashion, not only is every sin that I commit immediately, in my mind, going back in time and landing on Jesus' shoulders, but also think about what heaven and eternity with us is going to be like. We're almost, we're going to be witness to that. We're going to see what we what we did. We're going to be, a, we're going to be witnessing the crucifixion and it's like a scar that never goes away or a, a burn that never heals and that makes the crucifixion even weightier because it's not over even though it's finished it's finished in a different way right like it's finished from a standpoint of it being the task that need <clears throat> that need to be done completed. Is completed but from his perspective he's enduring that suffering in a different way yeah. all the time because it's always there with him. It's just this is wacky stuff. You to it, when you start really thinking about it, it starts really messing with your head. <laughs> it does, but it, it makes so much sense with all the statements about God dwelling in eternity, God dwelling, as Paul says on Mars Hill, outside of time. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole thing, and so um, it helps us just kind of wrap our minds around the fact that science and uh, and God go hand in hand. He created it. Right. <laughs> like, it's all his... We're just discovering a little bit of it here and there. And how amazing, how mathematical and amazing is that when you mm-hmm. think about it? You know, it's just... It's incredible. Yeah, and, and, you know, another thing I thought about was the nature of resurrection. Mm. Um, what does that now mean? Like, whenever you take... Uh, a lot of these constraints that we currently have on on our existence, if we take some of those out of the way, like, for example, look at Jesus' resurrected body. I mean, he was doing all kinds of, of interesting things with it that gives us a little idea as to how Philip seemed to have got a little taste of it there in Acts 8. Right. And so we're going to be able to move around in different ways than what we can move around now. So our, and so our resurrected existence is something that's completely outside of our comprehension. Yeah. Like, it's so, it's so cool in that way. Uh, so the I, whole I idea it. of soul sleep, that's a very interesting concept whenever you think about that. Mm-hmm. Because to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. But then, then there were, I mean, a lot of people, uh, there was the theology of soul sleep, which kind of makes sense from a biblical standpoint, going mm-hmm. to sleep, right? Well, it makes sense from a perception standpoint. Right, but it's all perception. Right. Because the reality is, is, you know... It, you're existing. You're existing. In, yeah, so to die is to be 
present yeah. with the God, with God because you step out of time. You right. step out of the existence of time. But those of us who are stuck in it, your body's still there. Yeah. I mean, you're you're still you know we're having a funeral for you, right? Even though, so there's still some time in our perception sure. of this. We haven't reached the judgment day or whatever, but all of that is outside of time because right. it's on a different realm. Yeah. Yes. So mm. I don't know. Like I said, this is all theoretical. Yeah, hundred percent theoretical. All, and all it, but it has good science behind it. And that science doesn't disagree with the Bible. Right. So anyway, just thought it was a fun study, for, at least for me. Pretty so. interesting, man. So you got some news for us? Yeah, let's do it. And now, the news. Well, there's a new study out by Lifeway Research uh, that shows that 9% of Protestant churches have had money embezzled from them. That doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I've, I've heard of too many. <laughs> right. They've asked a 1,000 senior pastors of Protestant churches around the country if someone within their organization has embezzled money, which is largely tithed and given by congregations. Shocking 9% says yes. The problem is more prevalent in larger churches, where there are more than 250 members, where embezzlement affects 12% of the congregations. As Christianity Today notes, the losses can be significant. They cited an Association of Certified Fraud Examiner study that found in incidents of embezzlement that the churches and charitable groups on an average lose a total of $82,000. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's very interesting to me that, I mean, these are supposed to be churches and charitable organizations, but greed and money, uh, Trump. Yeah. So much. It's it's so sad, especially in America. Well, s- sin in general. It's yeah. all over us, right? That's right. Stink of it. It's a natural, I guess it's it's just the natural thing to do. Mm. Crazy. All right, so Robert Jeffries, you, you may know him as the pastor of Dallas Baptist, I believe. Yeah. Uh, he's also... Uh, Trump's top evangelical advisor. Oh, I, I didn't know, know that. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of Donald Trump's top evangelical advisors, Robert Jeffries, has released a statement in the wake of Trump's unprecedented words toward North Korea. I don't know if you heard the words that he tweeted out toward North Korea hmm. and then shared out basically that I will come down on you with the full might, power of my <laughs> power or yeah. whatever. Um, Rattling the sabers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He says, okay, so Robert Jeffries says that the U.S. president has a spiritual authority to take out North Korean President Kim Jong-un. He said, this is his quote, when it comes to how we should deal with evildoers, the Bible in the book of Romans is very clear. God has empowered rulers. uh, God has endowed rulers full power to use whatever means necessary, including war, to stop evil, Jeffrey said. In the case of North Korea, God has given Trump authority to take out Kim Jong-un. Wow. Get the Marines. Get the Taliban. Get the Mormon Tabernacle Choir if you have to, but find the Pillar of Salt. (laughs) Exactly. Or take out a Jong-un. Anyways, it's, it's very interesting, his take. Basically, on Romans thirteen, mm-hmm. the the it gives the government the authority to do whatever. 
whether it's assassinated, <laughs> casual punishment, or evil punishment to quell the actions of evildoers like Kim Jong-un. And I'm okay, whatever. Kim Jong-un is evil. You know, that's a evil nation. But honestly, really, like, are you going to put America as yeah. uh, God's chosen Man, weapon? so many different... On evil and... So many different ways to look at that, too. I because... I don't know if you've ever like read some of the atrocities from Northern Korea. Like mm, I've yeah, I have. I've I've watched documentaries. It's, ter- it's terrible. Mm-hmm. The, what the the what they do to their own people. Like their yeah. their own people are in uh, a torturous situation. Total oppression. So um so yeah, I'm I'm I don't know. I'm on the fence with all that stuff because uh, my belief is that God's going to use the government to do what the government's going to do. Period. Right. If it's Babylon, God's going to use Babylon. If right, it's right. Israel, God's going to use Israel. And not, God is not on one side of a nation other than Israel. God is not on one side of a nation. Period. Yeah. I, I'm sorry about if you if you believe that the United States of America is God's country <laughs> or God lives here, but God does not live here. <laughs> the kingdom is is God's right, nation. Right. And so it's very dangerous for us yeah, to go. I don't know about from that aspect. Yeah. It's just whether or not it's whether or not it's a righteous like is is it the honorable thing to do to remove you know that type of evil from the world or whatever. I mean it's like Take it to the smaller level. You've got a neighbor down the street who's oppressing, ab- abusing his wife and children, and you know there's pedophilia going on in that house. And it's like you do what you can. What to do you stop do? It. Yeah, you know. And I agree with that. And I agree. You know, I I agree with uh, if we make that decision. But I'm telling you, this is nuclear war rhetoric, and North Korea now has nuclear capable missiles, and so yeah. They can't get them here, though. <laughs> you can get them close enough, and they can They have they have friends that'll get them here. Mm. It's scary to me. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just telling you. I feel like we're on the cusp of the second Cold War, honestly. Yeah, with North Korea and then with Russia again. So, I you know pray for you know the future, and who knows. What's going to happen? I don't know if I agree with Robert Jeffries 100%, although I just think that uh, basically God's going to do what God's going to do with it. Which is basically what Romans 13 is really saying. Exactly. That's the whole point. It's it's not like license for anything. Right. Yeah. The nice thing is, is, as as Scripture says, why do the nations raise, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Rage. The reality is, is if we're in the kingdom... No weapon formed against us shall prosper, even if they blow us to smithereens with a nuclear bomb. Holy ghost power. That's awful. <laughs> All right. North Korea frees, an, uh, speaking of Kim Jong-un, yeah. North Korea frees ailing Canadian pastor serving life sentence. After four, uh, after more than two and a half years, North Korea has released a Toronto megachurch pastor the regime imprisoned and accused of attempting to establish a religious state. Uh, Thaung Hyun Soon Lim was issued a life sentence to hard labor. His health suffered, and North Korea agreed to release the Christian visitor on sick bail for humanitarian reasons on Wednesday. 
the state-run Korean uh, Central News Agency reported. Lim is on his way home to his family, including a granddaughter. He will meet for the first time in his 3,000-member congregation. Uh, like Korean Presbyterian Church in suburban Toronto, Canadian officials have traveled to North Korea to discuss his case a day prior to the release. So that's good news. Yeah. Uh, uh, Christian pastor's coming home from North Korea, and he could probably tell us a whole bunch about what's going on mm-hmm. there. All right, here we go. How about this? Transgender Kids Camp welcomes kids as young as preschool age. Oh, my. Enrollment in the Rainbow Day Camp, a camp for transgender and gender-fluid children ages 4 to 12 in San Francisco Bay Area, has tripled to about 60 children this year. The camp in El Cerrito is the only one in the world of its kind available to preschoolers, experts say, and as such, it draws children from L.A., Washington, D.C., and even Africa, according to the New York Post. Each day, campers are allowed to make a name tag with a pronoun of their choice. They can choose she or he or a combination of she, he. The child can choose they or even no pronoun at all. Wow, this is this is just getting more and more extreme. Because whenever you're that age, let's even assume that this is a choice of, of sorts or that uh, a discovery of, of sorts. How does a preschooler do that? Like, this is the parent. This is the parent making that choice oh, yeah, for them. Yeah. 100%. Like, the child is, is I don't, not identifying. Blakely doesn't choose which preschool to go to, by the way. Yeah. I choose which preschool right, to send her to. Right. And so whatever she's going to be engrafted with and ingrained with is what she's going to start spitting out. Hmm. The leader of this place says, when people say, isn't this too young? My question back to them, too young for what? How young do people know their gender? I would say from birth. Mm-hmm. That'd be the first clue. Okay, anyways. The answer to that uh, is some people know it at three and some people know it at 30. That's what he says. Hmm. So it's pretty uh, unbelievable. This is what he says. Experts say, uh, let's see, specialists help trans children, transgender children, quote unquote, socially transition to live as their chosen gender until they're old enough to decide on medical options. Yeah. Even the article writes it as chosen gender. So, yeah. like, like you picked it. You did. That's the reality. Right. Honestly, sin is is rampant. <laughs> and so, you know, I choose to sin. <laughs> choose gender, too, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, you know, whatever. But it defies science, you know. It's very interesting to me. That people in the right wing, and I don't want to, I don't want to hammer on this, but it's very interesting to me that they preach science and science and science until it comes to such cases as abortion or transgender yeah. uh, cases. Yeah, and then it's not science; it's feeling. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Interesting. Yeah, it breaks my heart. It's so, it's evil. All right. This one's this one's interesting for you. Maybe we'll cover this at a later date. Okay. Is it okay for Christians to curse? Pastor who used explicit rap song in service thinks so. Wow. Yeah. A Los Angeles, California pastor is under fire for featuring a Jay-Z rap song in a church service, accompanied by a performance of young women dancing. The Jay-Z song titled The Story of OJ contains abundant curse words as well as a repetition of a racial slur. Reverend Marcus 
the pastor of Tree of Life Missionary Baptist Church, where the young women performed a dance routine to the song defended using the song in a service. The music and performance allegedly were meant to represent the follies of wasting money on things not for God. Uh, the reverend also defended the explicit song by saying that he sometimes uses curse words when he prays. The truth is something is sometimes when I'm praying, my prayers are not guide me, O oh, thy great Jehovah pilgrim, <laughs> through this barren land. I'm not quoting from the 23rd Psalm. I'm not quoting from the Philippians. Sometimes my prayers have explicit language to God in them. God, I am bleep, bleep, bleep upset. And because of that, I learned that God can handle that. He said in an interview, according to the Christian Post. You want to reply on that? What do you think? Oh, I can. But um, we we really do need to do a Theonauts on this. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Yeah. I still... Okay, honestly, this is this is my belief on this. Okay. This pastor is wrong here okay. to use something like Jay-Z, Jay-Z in a worship service. Yeah. Honestly. Okay. A man like Jay-Z and what he preaches, what he sings about is not God-honoring, period. And I don't think you can argue against that. Okay. So why would you Is use... it the profanity that's the issue, though? It's not just the profanity. That's just one issue. Yeah. I, I just... I, I wouldn't be able to tolerate it. Mm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just weak in my faith, but... No, no. I, 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 but I think that the issue that you, that you bring up is a little different than, the, than it just being about profanity. Like okay. if he's saying that he curses in his prayers, is that okay? All right. Well, that's Moving a on? taste. <laughs> we'll get to it at some point whenever I'm ready. <laughs> we'll get to it. All right, moving on. Uh, this is my last thing. Okay. The Cana wedding wine jars were likely crafted in a cave and archaeological Archaeologists, archaeologists, it's been a long day. And archaeologists think they've found it. Hmm. Yes. Okay, so the uh, story in the Bible is referenced to John mm-hmm. 2, 1 through 11, where Jesus is his first miracle, turns the water into wine, and tells his, calls his wife, uh, calls his mother woman and all that. It's great. Um, archaeological team with the Israel Antiquities Authority is currently excavating a quarry that was used for producing chalkstone containers during the Roman era, according to Christian uh, Christian Today. The quarry is located in Rena in Lower Galilee. Archaeologists discovered that the cave where the stone for the vessels was quarried contained thousands of stone vessels, including mugs, bowls, and various other containers at different points in the production process. Archaeologists believe that vessel-making facility may have been where the vessels that held the water and wine at the Cana wedding feast were made because the quarry is located just south of the modern village of Kfar Cana, which is believed to be the modern-day Cana. Hmm. Uh, additionally, yeah, archaeologists believe that Jews in particular use vessels made of chalk stone for religious region, reasons. Wow. So biblical archaeology comes... Full circle again. That's huh? right. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I know. Okay. Get the Marines. Get the Taliban. Get the Mormon Tabernacle Choir if you have to. But find the Pillar of Salt. <laughs> find the the Cana jars. <laughs> Get the Marines. <laughs> 
Get to Mormon Tackle Choir. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, that's all I have for today, man. Really? That's oh, it. Okay. That's well, it. Where's our scripts? Uh, I don't know. Where scripts? are they? Oh, here's one. Right here. There's I found it. Uh, I found the Oh, jeez. <laughs> It's been a long well, day. Well, I haven't cleaned my desk in a while. Seriously, it's about time. I actually took a picture of it today. Did you? <laughs> yeah, if you want to see what my desk looks like right now, you need to go to my YouTube channel. It's the <laughs> <laughs> it's the header on my YouTube channel. That's funny. So, All right, let's roll. All right. If I can find the right button. <laughs> the Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using bleep bleep media and so... No, network. <laughs> using the mother... <laughs> medium. And- Social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to blankety everyone. And to find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all our shows, including Finding Christ in Cinema and the Secret Fire podcast. Mm. All right, come Secret Fire, guys. (laughs) You can visit our website at theonotpodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. And be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways to contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on your voicemail line at 972-885-7270. Twitter us or Twitter using at Theonauts. Go like us on Facebook at <laughs> theonauts.com slash Facebook or whatever. <laughs> I think that's Facebook.com. Slash Theonaut. I read that backwards. Yeah. Keep going there, dude. If you like us and want even more Theonauts. I like you. Drop us a buck or two at Patreon.com slash Theonauts. Your patronage helps us in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. Don't forget to tune in again and explore space-time continuum with us. Right. I'm Jeremiah. Thanks for being here, Jerry. Thank you, David. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission Transmission. At GCTNetwork.com. My only fear is the uh, milk drinkers in my congregation. Is this meat going to be too much for them to swallow? <laughs>